Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Haunted Tales from Suburbia. I'm your host, Cameron. Just wanted to thank you all for listening to our podcast over the last, uh, this will be our 10th episode. So the previous nine, now our 10th episode. And just want to let you guys know that you can always follow me on TikTok at, at Haunted Tales from Suburbia Pod. And check out uh, extra videos behind the scenes that also add to the podcast itself. So usually when I do the podcast, I'll have a little episode or a little snippet kind of explaining what the episode's about. But I also do other videos that can tie into an episode. If I find something that's really interesting, I tend to add it um, into the podcast or even elaborate more on it. If there's a lot of viewer and follower interest, I'll expand on it that way. So you guys get it in both ways. So today we're going to kind of focus on a couple different locations that are both in New York and for different reasons. One is a story that had a lot of interest for me, but also some of our followers on TikTok, which was the story of uh, Eunice Goody Cole, which was the, uh, thought of as be the first witch in Hampton, New York. She was actually known as the Hampton Witch. And it's a very interesting backstory and information for her. So we'll talk about that today too. The second story is the, is the John Lawson Mannequin House, which is a really creepy, odd story. And we'll touch on that today too, also in New York. So New York's seeing a little bit of focus this week for two different reasons, but still fascinating and interesting and encompassing the paranormal. So let's start off with Eunice Goody Cole. So a little bit of backstory with her is New Englanders in the 17th century feared the devil above all else. They believed the natural disasters were caused by a person who was possessed by old Nick. If their crops failed, a cow went dry, or if an epidemic struck, they blamed someone in the community, usually an eccentric old person. Well, Eunice Goody Cole was all of these. She was an eccentric old person. She was a little odd doesn't mean that she was a witch. But back then, when she first came with her husband, William, to New Hampshire, she was an indentured servant from London, England. And her husband and her were introduced into the colony in 1638. And they became a part of that new colony. And the location was called Exeter. And it was being established under the leadership of Reverend John Wheelwright. Well, In 1640, the Coles decided to move to that settlement at nearby Hampton. And Wheelwright moved from Exeter to Wells, Maine, but was ousted from there and made a bid for control of Hampton. And that left the Coles back under the jurisdiction of the leader they had previously abandoned. So it kind of came full circle in a sad way for them. They got away from England because of that one particular person and they became back underneath that person in the colonies. Now, during their time, Eunice and her husband tried to do the right thing, tried to make a better life for themselves, but they were continuing to be persecuted. And she gets that nickname Goody as Goody Cole, because back then a good wife was abbreviated as Goody. And because she was a woman of lower standing, she was given that title as a good wife, and so she became Eunice Goody Cole. 
Now, she, with the turn of witchcraft is interesting. Because they're poor and they're elderly, they still, for some reason, owned 40 acres of valuable land near the salt marshes. And that was highly desired by others. So obviously jealousy can play a role in that. So it looks like if someone was jealous, like, hey, they've got this great land. I want that land. Guess what? They're a witch. They're a witch. And so the silliness of that led to the unfortunate events for, for Eunice and her family. Because that land was desired by others. The townspeople, the neighbors, they started making problems. And they tried to depict her in a, in a negative light. They tried to say that she was an unsympathetic character. Because she stood up for her rights in an era when women had none. She had a voice. She was an older elderly woman in her 60s. But she had spunk to her. And they didn't like that. So over the course of those first couple years, they wanted this land. They didn't like the Goody Coles. They didn't like Goody Cole. Because she was an outspoken woman for that time period. So neighboring children started to claim that they'd seen her take the form of a dog. A cat, an eagle. A black dwarf was apparently seen with a red cap sitting at her table. These are stories that they would share with the townspeople and eventually came back to the reverend and also came back to the head person of that colony. Uh, one person had said that a man whose cattle had eaten grass on Goody's property claimed that she had put a curse on them and one of his calves died and another disappeared. She was blamed for a loss of a fishing boat that killed eight people. She was blamed for crops that didn't come to full harvest. They blamed her for things that she had no control over. Now, how did they do this? Because they claimed witchcraft. They said she was a witch and that she was doing this. That they'd seen her in her window late at night, toiling with spells, talking in tongues. They've seen the devil visiting with her. And of course, during that time of that religious Puritanism, any speak of the devil, any speak of a negativity, any speak of something that was odd, people would eat it up and believe it. And so poor Goody Cole is caught in the middle of these lies. And the townspeople were convinced that she was a witch, so convinced that they took her to court and had her tried as a witch, a 60-year-old woman tried as a witch. And even the county judge, after hearing all the evidence, sentenced her to life imprisonment. Not burning at the stake, not a hanging, not a drowning. Life in prison. And she was sent to a Boston prison at the age of 64 years old. Now, how did they pay for her imprisonment? Well, they sold all of her belongings. That 40-acre homeland was sold. What a coincidence. And the townspeople divided it up and put their own homes there, put their own stuff there. Really interesting. They found a way to get her off that land that they wanted and then sold it and used that money from the sale to keep her in prison. Wow. This is back in the 1600s. And she was known then as the Hampton Witch. She was, con she was condemned in 1656 and was known as the Hampton Witch. And she spent the la her last 20 years of her life for doing nothing wrong in that prison. 
Now, when her 88-year-old husband, William, complained that he couldn't manage his affairs without his wife's help, the court sold his land, like I mentioned, and they paid the rest of the debts with those receipts. So the land was sold to pay off debts, not to get his wife. There was no caring. Just sad. She even petitioned several times for her release from jail so she could go home so her land wouldn't be sold, her belongings wouldn't be sold. Finally, in 1671, close to 20 years, about 15 years in that Boston prison, she was allowed to return to Hampton, where she learned that her husband had died. So she's released from that jail, that prison, for doing nothing. And she comes out and her husband's dead. She's lost her land. She's lost her home. She's lost her husband. Because others were either jealous or caught up in that puritanism and caught up in that angle of witchcraft. And the theories that abound for this was that when she died alone, she died alone in a small hut off Rands Hill in Hampton at the age of 88. And exactly where she's buried is still unknown. Although there is a uh, monument, there is a structure there set in her place to talk about and kind of for her, almost like a gravestone. And it's said that one legend says that the body was carried, mob was carried to a field and they drove a stake through her heart as the only way to exercise the witch which that was not proven. I looked at research and that's more of a, a, a once again, a, a wife's tale type thing. There was nothing to prove that the stake was driven through her heart. It was more that she died at that old age of 88 and she was then buried. However, she was also exonerated. And in 1864, they finally said, you know what, let's look at this case again. Yeah, she wasn't a witch. So she was exonerated and no longer seen as a witch and they cleared her name almost almost 300 years I want to say close to the 1900s almost 300 years after she had died they finally cleared her as being a witch wow 300 years they finally cleared her of being a witch and they the townspeople said or the townspeople sorry in those 300 years, they said, you know what, we looked at the facts, looked at the evidence, and the wrong, wrongs that had been done to her, that what was done to her was unjust. So the Society of the Hampton Apprehension and, and those falsely accusing Anne Cole, having had familiar with the devil, they stated back then, and they tried to pass the blame of it was the time period, it was a mistake, but they exonerated her post-mortem of being a witch. But even though her legend still lives on as being the only witch in Hampton to ever be tried. But if you think about the facts. She was tried as a witch because people wanted that property. They saw this elderly couple, an elderly woman who had 40 acres of prime land. And they're colonizing a new country. And you have a dictator or a person that they were under as far as that power in England now once again taking control in the colonies and they were an outcast they were bullied essentially they were bullied 
And that's kind of what leaves that open. Because there's so many different stories that have to do with witches. And history of witches. But sometimes it can be something as sad as a story about someone accused of witchcraft that had no connection, had not practiced, had no direct reason for witchcraft being blamed for these things. So I wanted to kind of touch on that story because it happened once again in New York. Um, Nothing bad about New York, just I found these two different stories um, on my journey as I look for content to kind of share with you guys on TikTok. I thought that was an interesting one because a lot of people were curious about it and were leaving comments. So I want to delve a little deeper into it and share a little bit more with you guys on the podcast. So with that being said, I want to kind of lead in now into our second story, which is the John Lawson Mannequin House. And this one's super creepy for many different reasons. And we're going to touch on that here in a second. So this John Lawson mystery house, I'm sorry, mannequin house. It's a, well, It kind of is a mystery house, I guess, because it's still a mystery to this day for a couple of reasons. So this home is also in New York. It's located near the New Hamburg train station in New York. And it was built in 1845. And it's believed to be the oldest house in New Hamburg in the Main Street Historic District. And it was supposedly built by John Lawson, who was at the time uh, a new colonist to that area. Once again, we're talking about colonists and coming to the new world. And it was believed that he was a descendant of those first colonists in that area. And so he built this home in 1845. And he expanded upon it based on their land that they owned. And it's one of the oldest homes because there were several other homes in that area and they they kind of look at the history of that location and they determined that this was one of, I believe, two or three homes in that particular district that dated back even farther. He had done some renovations on it. That's why I talk about built. Um, It was kind of continued to be built upon over those years as things get improved upon, um, homes get rebuilt. But that's not our story. That's a little bit of just me going off topic, so I apologize. But we're talking today about why this house is so unique, so weird, so creepy, so interesting. So let's go into it. It's not just famous for being historically old because of the creepy, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, creepy, if you look this up on the internet, you'll see the pictures. Creepy mannequins that once adorned that front porch. So in this house, or I'm sorry, outside this house, it has a wraparound deck. It's very much the old farmhouse style. It's kind of secluded. There's trees around it. There's bushes. It's kind of off, I wouldn't say off the grid, but off the beaten path of where you would just locally find it real easily, unless you're driving for it specifically. And the mannequins are no longer there. So if you guys want to just jump out right now and head over as I'm talking... You'll see the house, but the mannequins are no longer there. We'll talk about that. Now, nobody knows when or why these mannequins really first appeared, but they're only on that porch for about 10 years up until about 2005. So we're talking about the 1990s is when we started seeing these mannequins on this front porch. 
And there's so many different myths and stories that things surround it. Why were the mannequins there? Who put them there? Was it a joke? Was it an art deco type piece? Was it someone just playing a joke? Well, they don't know exactly who put the mannequins there or why. But a couple legends I kind of delved into and, and saw was that they state that they would something to do with two tragedies that occurred very close to the house. So they're trying to correlate these mannequins first appearing because of tragedies that had occurred at that particular location or in that area. And the first one that they talk about when I did my research was a derailed train crash that occurred in 1871. And apparently a train heading southbound collided with a train heading northbound only about 200 feet from the home, uh, which ended up killing over 22, 22 people. But what was interesting is because the train itself was carrying oil, there was a huge explosion. And that explosion just rocked that whole area. But even though it only killed 22 people. So some people believe now that part of those 22 people were inhabiting these mannequins. And it wasn't a lot of mannequins on the front porch. They said it was about two or three mannequins. But what was weird is that every day the people would drive by or they would go and look for this location, they'd see these mannequins that were essentially moved to different positions, always on the front porch. Different wigs, different hats, holding a book, holding a coffee cup, looking towards the east, looking towards the west, standing, sitting. So the mannequins were being positioned and repositioned daily. But what was interesting about it was that no one ever saw anyone doing it. No one saw anybody coming from the house. No cars were parked there. So no one knew who was doing it. Okay, let's get to the second part of that legend as to why these mannequins were there. The second tragedy that occurred was a fire that took out six homes all within that vicinity of the Lawson house in 1877. But the Lawson house didn't burn down. All the homes around it within that location burnt down, but this one still stood. So six years after the train derailment, a fire breaks out and burns all the homes around this house, but not the Lawson house. So locals started to now believe, wow, maybe there is something to it. And so there's, they speculated that the lost souls that perished in both those tragedies were now inhabiting the bodies of these mannequins, possessing them, kind of like those haunted dolls that people have and people talk about. And I truly believe that a, a spirit can inhabit an object. And so uh, possibly it could be a spirit inhabiting that mannequin and they're moving around in their different positions. But these are what the locals had speculated that that's the reason why the mannequins were seen moving and no one was seen anywhere near the house. Even with modern technology today, back then they didn't have modern technology, even with modern technology today, we won't ever really know. Because over the course of that home being in possession of owners, no one was ever seen living at that house. Although we do have record that it was sold 
between 2005 and 2015. Uh, the records are kind of um, confusing there a little bit. But we do know that after 2015, we don't see any more mannequins on that front porch. Talking, not me personally talking, but other people talking to the locals when I did some research, um, had mentioned that someone had seen at one point a light coming in the house um, early morning hours, 2, 3 a.m., but never saw anyone come in or out of the house. So there's speculation that perhaps someone was doing it, moving these mannequins. Because obviously after the house had been sold, the mannequins stopped being on the porch. But no one was ever seen living at this particular house. So perhaps they came at night, 2, 3 in the morning, and snuck in. Like I said, it's a secluded area. So maybe a little bit off the road. And did the rearranging for fun. We may never know. One piece of research I did did find was that someone had said that they had looked up a little bit deeper into the history of the house and were able to locate the person that possibly sold the home. And so they went on an adventure themselves and drove out to the new place that the people had supposedly purchased. And what they found was these same mannequins at this new house. But they were just kind of like positioned outside in a garden area. So nothing too creepy, right? Just some mannequins hanging out in your garden. Kind of like a modern day scarecrow, I guess. So they had these mannequins out there. So the person did find this house. They also mentioned the house was once again kind of off the beaten path, more of like a compound secluded. So you really couldn't get a good look. Um, there isn't any pictures of this new information, new evidence. So once again, it's speculation. But we may never know who did move or set those mannequins. Maybe it was a possession of spirits within those mannequins. But paranormal enthusiasts today, ghost hunters, locals, still think the house is not just creepy in general and creepy for the mannequins, but they go and they have done investigations. They've gone to the mannequin house and claimed to have picked up voices, footsteps, seen lights at nighttime, in that area. Well, if the house was sold, I'm assuming people live there. But once again, we won't know unless we do our own digging and go there ourselves. But just an interesting story. So I kind of want to share these two stories with you guys today. One dealing with someone unjustly accused of witchcraft and another one with just a creepy mannequin house in New York. I love New York. I love the culture. I love... Just the stories, the history all around that East Coast. So I kind of want to touch on over the next course of these podcast episodes, just different locations around East Coast to West Coast, uh, urban legends, myths, cryptids, all those really cool, spooky, scary, interesting things. So I'm hoping to share a little bit more with you guys as we dig into these podcast episodes. I'm getting more used to the podcast myself. I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it. Once again, you can find me on tiktok at haunted tales from suburbia pod and there's more videos more information uh, a little bit of cool stuff like i said urban legends myths werewolves vampires lions tigers bears oh my whatever you're interested in um, i tend to share it with my followers i just love the paranormal i love anything that has to do with the creepy the unknown 
the supernatural. I enjoy sharing with you guys. And I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast as well as viewing it there. So once again, thank you guys for taking the time to listen. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you found it as interesting as I did. And as always, happy haunting. What is it?